1: Hello, welcome to the group chat. The long dark of January is now behind us. Richard, Zara, and Gavin all here to discuss the latest news. February is it spring, or would you start? Oh, we already into well.
2: There's one hour of January left. If you're watching this on TV, actually, we're into the final hour. I think you can say it's finally gone. Yeah,
1: but are you a spring February? Love spring. But do you think February is spring? It's February spring.
2: Oh,
1: because meteorologically, no. But in the the no, it's calendar, very, no, it's calendar we're taught in school, in it's still
2: not. You're still. I think. I think spring is sort of like that after Paddy's Day space. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah. A bit more which, which is the
3: astronomical one because like oh. it's all uh, measured by light. But if if February is spring, then doesn't autumn have to be August? And that doesn't seem right. Doesn't right. Yeah, it's not right.
1: Yeah, it's just. But that's the way I was taught in but primary right, school. You know, but it? that's
3: it. It's the primary curriculum. Mm-hmm. Or how do you tell someone that autumn, which is on four? doesn't end with Jera 4 yeah.
1: which is October there you go. There work you go that one. the kids have been taught wrong
2: questions of the week anyway though
1: Norma Foley soon I'm sure spring has sprung installment, rebirth new life after two years away yep. finally the Northern, Ar- Northern Irish Assembly and Executive is coming back symmetrically it'll be back on Saturday two years to the day since it was suspended now It comes at a very interesting time and this is why we wanted to start the podcast with this is that Sinn Féin for the very first time is going to have the most senior political office in the North. Michelle O'Neill will be the first Republican or nationalist uh, minister to hold the first minister's office in the North. So that is very historic. But Sinn Féin at the same time, uh, we've been about two years I think now of of, of seeing an inevitability about Sinn Féin leading the next government in the Republic. Mm. And now that's starting, that long march to power seems to stutter somewhat. So... Sarah, first off, we're going to look at sort of the issues around Sinn Féin mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, them having their, one of their probably the brightest hours in the North is actually coming at a time when they're receding a little bit in the Republic. Yeah. But the, his, the history of the moment is still quite significant.
2: It's quite significant and even I was watching an interview that Mary Lee MacDonald gave to Channel 4 News actually last night and she was talking about that and looking at how, you know, in in best case scenario, I think Gary Givens is asking her, you know, like, Eventually, if you became the Taoiseach, you then have two women at the top of Sinn Féin sort of running Ireland um, as a country. And she had this big, massive smile on her face and she sort of was, you know, I don't think Mary Lou McDonald Macdonald has accepted that there's any sort of risk of that not happening at the moment. <laughs> I think she's very much steaming forward, guys Eyes on with, the prize. With eyes on the prize, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, and um, it is worth saying, and not to immediately piddle in their chips, but um, like the, the Office of First Minister is literally like completely tied at the hip to yes. the office of Deputy First Minister. So although there is obviously a symbolism to it, Northern Ireland was created so that the Unionists would be almost permanently a majority. So the idea that the largest party is a nationalist one would aspire to get rid of Northern Ireland long term, that obviously does have a symbolism. But in practical terms, Deputy First Minister is a joint office. In fact, when Michelle O'Neill had that job, they used to call it Joint First Minister yes. to try and downgrade the fact that it, it appeared Deputy to some people to yeah. be
1: secondary when actually it's not. The way it's I got around this yesterday, just to try and sort of unmuddy it, is to say that it's the, most, the First Minister's office is like the most senior job title. I yes. think it is rather yeah. the most mm-hmm. senior position because they're both equal mm-hmm. in terms of actual power and yeah. esteem. That's a nice, nice. But fudge. it was most senior job title. As mm. well. But there is there is a like a serious symmetry to that. People, people,
3: long term. Like my dad sent me a message when the election happened for Stormont, like nearly two years ago, like from Terence O'Neill to Michelle O'Neill, because the last time the Northern Ireland had an independent Prime Minister of its own before the Troubles never everything had to be shut down, it was a Tory called Terence O'Neill. And now it's going to have Michelle O'Neill, who mm. is from a Tyrone mm. uh, Sinn Féin Republican family. Well
2: oh, you were you were there yesterday, Richard? What was the atmosphere like? Uh, Take us behind the scenes. Was, give us give us a sense of what it's like to be there on the day.
1: It was quite like there wasn't a huge amount happening. There was a couple of press conferences. So every, I think everybody saw uh, Michelle O'Neill, Conor Murphy, and uh, Mary Lou McDonald doing their press conference in mm. the, in the hall in Stormont, which is one of my favourite places to report. Mm. Stormont is great. Mm. Like if uh, if our Parliament if the doll had a, such a nice backdrop. Mm. Oh, we'd be doing well. Mm. Like the drive, you drive up, it's a big, obviously it's it's called the hill. So you go up the hill, you're there, it's magnificent parliament buildings. You see all of Belfast around you. It was a mm. very visible day. Everybody fabulous. saw the blue skies there yesterday. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm. Often very cold up there because it is say, very elevated. Because it
3: basically has a microclimate because of how tall it is. So even if it's warm and the rest of Belfast on a good day, it can still be like pretty Ippy. freezing yeah. up there. Not so much yesterday.
1: No, it was nice. It was actually not too bad. It's around two or three degrees. He had the big coat
2: on, I saw you. He had the
3: big no, coat on. No, that,
1: that would be my lighter of the two what coats. I, my Virgin Media jacket is my bigger coat. Oh, the is moment. it? All oh, right. The, the branded jacket is the one I get out on the on the cold, cold days. Okay. I, sometimes I might stick the two jackets on.
2: I can't bring myself to wear the branded jacket, by the way. I haven't been given my branded jacket
3: have yet. Not, okay. I would That's recommend not a it cosy anyway.
1: Okay. But anyway, the, uh, the atmosphere is quite good because you, you don't... I wouldn't regularly get up to do Northern Irish politics yeah. but when you do it's always nice because there's a great crew of you know, other journalists up there. Yeah. Mm. Even the political staffers up there are all, all very nice. Yes
2: it was a big day to be there as well. It's, you know it's one of those great days to be there.
1: Um, I suppose it, I don't think so because I think they were all very much in the pattern of this hasn't, this hasn't been fully agreed yet. Okay, mm. They weren't yeah. fully celebrating anything yet. Yeah. That'll probably happen this weekend but uh, Storm and to recommend a visit if you're ever up in Belfast or in Belfast it's just smashing place. I was in the, um, the coffee shop slash gift shop um, for a scone and um uh, a warm. Uh, would you pronounce it scone?
3: would there be a problem with pronouncing scope? Would there
1: not be a scone ism? Would that not be I'm one not of those sure. cross-community things? Uh. I don't know. They were selling wine, uh, northern Northern Ireland assembly wines there, Sauvignon Blancs mm. and whatnot. I'd say they've been sitting on the shelf a long made time, <laughs> corked, made in Chile.
3: So
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. must bring in some Arrocs wine for like
3: our, our next little summer finish up, just to give. They you do have that. There is an Arrocs yeah. wine, yeah. Anyway, it's not, what else
2: they rude. sell in the gift shop, by the way?
1: Uh, rulers. Can I
2: ask you who's using rulers anymore apart from primary school students?
1: I think that's probably it. That, I'd imagine they're the full math teachers for primary school children. Yeah, great. Pencils. There a couple of like bits and bobs clearing maybe the civil servants who've been running the budget
3: who've been dealing with all the public sector workers who've been saying oh you want this percentage
1: ruler no can't
3: have that because that's actually where the rubber meets the road here isn't it that Northern Ireland has basically been like idling like like it's a car parked Mm. with the engine barely running for the last two years no one's been able
1: to do anything this is what I actually wanted to talk about because it's so easy just to get bogged down when you're talking about Northern Irish politics into an us and them situation or the absence of leadership or the fact that it's been suspended for so long it's like oh why aren't these politicians doing their job. But the real life impact of this has been quite severe, Gavin. You you talk about public services there, whether it's hospitals, schools, roads, support for, um, you know, uh, parental carers, kids with special needs. All of this has just fallen off entirely mm-hmm. as a result of there not being any politicians at the lever. Yeah, the starting
3: salary for a teacher in Britain is £30,000 sterling. The starting salary for somebody in Northern Ireland is 24000 uh, In real terms, the value of the wage of somebody in the public sector in Northern Ireland has fallen by about 11% in the last couple of years because they have they haven't had a pay freeze, but mm-hmm. there's been no one around to sanction a pay hike and in the meantime, of course, there's been a cost of living crisis and where their counterparts in Britain have had governments that are prepared to top up their pay to make them deal with it. There hasn't been the similar uh, in in the North as well. And there's a whole whole ream of other things, you know, people who might be thinking about Euro 2028 and the redevelopment of Casement Park. All of that kind of depends on some minister eventually somewhere saying, right, here is spending that we're going to sanction mm-hmm. or here is planning permission that we're going to approve. And none of that's been happening. So aside from the the bigger... Northern Ireland being a chessboard for mm-hmm. Irish nationalism mm-hmm. versus British unionism. Like there's, there's practical measurable things on the ground. There's due to no, be another strike again on Thursday th- mm-hmm. this week, so the day after we air this mm-hmm. on television. The last one a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were 170,000 participants in that strike. That's 10% of the entire population wow. of Northern mm. Ireland. That would be the equivalent of 520,000 people walking off the, the streets yeah. in yeah. Dublin, Cork and Galway yeah. and then we Waterford. Like the, the scale of that is enormous and if something like that wasn't going to like calcify in people's minds the need for there to be something like... Mm. Of course, that's going to be the trigger.
2: But it's like that point you make about even like losing two years in terms of like capital projects, big investment things, you know, things that will move the region mm. forward, things that are big developments. You know, that's two years is a long time to lose in all of that.
1: Particularly when, like, before those two years, there was a brief period where they were around again for, I think, probably another two then years during COVID. But they like were gone for three years yeah. before that. So basically, 20 February 22.
3: And then before that, was three years where they had nothing. Yeah. So the last seven years, they been shut been down off. or there's been pandemic.
1: Yeah. Happened. So, I mean, just the real hardship of because the North has been been economically deprived in many areas, it has been the most economically deprived mm. area in Western Europe in many ways, mental health issues, all that sort of stuff. So I actually think that there is an opportunity here for Sinn Féin in terms of having their hand on the lever as it were, even symbolically in the North, mm. if they go some way towards pushing cash out and they have a lot more cash to spend mm. as a result of this deal which has been done by the British government, um, that could go some way towards you know softening their position on how they are viewed by softer unionists, I suppose, in some ways, but it's actually in the Republic where the most interesting thing happening with Sinn Féin is at the moment, in that, you know, we've had an opinion poll last weekend, the Red Sea Business Post poll, which showed a 4% drop in support for Sinn Féin, 25% down from 29%. Uh, This is uh, down 11 points as well in two years. That is quite the drop, Sarah.
2: It is quite the drop. And actually, particularly, I suppose, when we look at what has really worked for Sinn Féin in in terms of their success in recent years, has been sort of always coming across as being the party that has their finger on the pulse of what matters to people and being very, you know, Sinn Féin has always been the kind of party that's always been able to push forward real life examples of people that have been affected by policies that they feel, you know, weren't handled properly by government. And that's been... um, Probably the backbone in a lot of ways, I would say, to their success in the last couple of years. And certainly in recent times, they don't seem to be hitting the marker. Where have they gone wrong, Gav? If you
3: do a deep dive into the polling figures, um, they're, it, you can almost reach the conclusion that they're being outflanked at, at either end of the spectrum. Um, so if you look at the, the short-term pro- the poll, the poll of the weekend, 25% nationwide, down, as you say, four points from the previous one. Now, there's always a danger, by the way, before we get into this, of making too much of one poll. But when you go and break down the individual demographics and you see that it's it's distributed across regions, they're losing support everywhere geographically, they're losing support among multiple age groups, multiple income groups. There is a consistency to it. Um, but it's not, before people think it is, it's not because they've decided to go to Washington for St. Patrick's Day. They're being somewhat outflanked by the SDLP on that mm-hmm. note, but they've decided to take up the invite. Now that the party holds the job of First Minister, it's kind of implausible that you would go to Washington and not take up the invite. Mm. Uh, so being outflanked out on that front, but the poll was barely overlapped with them deciding that and it barely overlapped with the referendums. Short term, they've lost six points in and Ulster uh, and five points in Munster. Now, the and Ulster one is difficult to break down because if you look at who's gaining at their expense, there's no obvious mm. standout party or group that's mm. kind of gaining that. But in Munster, they've dropped five points and independence are up by three of those five. Now, you could just take a a fairly rational leap Mm -hmm. of faith and say, well, the likes of Ross Grey or a lot of other demonstrations that there have been in Munster where people don't feel like their area is capable of dealing with a higher level of uh, international protection applicants. It it doesn't take a huge amount of of extra faith to presume that that's kind of what's ultimately behind it. And very quickly, long-term, you mentioned 36%, which is what they were in the middle of 2022. If you go and do a breakdown then, Back then, they were going to gain almost half, almost literally half, 47% mm. of every voter between 35 and 54. Mm. Now that's fallen to 29%. And that's before the knock-on consequence of deciding that you want to devalue all houses. So when they talk about having the average house in Dublin being worth €300,000, what does that make the average house in Galway or Waterford or Corkworth mm. or Tipperary? If you And if you want to devalue everyone's primary asset, that's going to bite people sooner rather than later too.
2: And last time I was in 2020 my writing saying the issue was that they didn't run enough people nearly that after the fact Mary Lee Macdonald sort of regretted that there weren't more people yeah, on yeah. the ticket Yeah, at the so time. take
3: your, your, your native Waterford mm. uh, five seat constituency 20% would be a quota David Cullinan got 39% of the vote. Mm. If David Ann were on the ballot twice he'd have been elected twice. Mary Lee Macdonald left a seat behind in Dublin Central. You'd do that all over the country and suddenly you've left a dozen seats behind and then you could lead the government. They presumed this, that they would just be able to pick up those seats again next time and they'd be back in the driving seat.
1: If you're only getting twenty-five percent and your closest challengers are at twenty, it's not as much of a given as that. Mm. Mm. In the Red Sea poll, Fianna fall and the greens now to combined forty-one percent. Zara. Wow. we've been feeling like for a long time there's been an air of inevitability even if you speak to people in those parties that they wouldn't be in the next government. Mm. This isn't a done deal anymore.
2: It's not but like I suppose I hate to say it and it's a cliche but a week is a long time in politics and you've seen yourself how things can swing and change. Like we were a long way off yet. Miles you off. You know we yeah. are miles off. I think sometimes you can kind of overtalk these situations and you know and like in some ways as well I suppose you know for the last couple of years people have just made this assumption that you know Mayor MacDonald will be the next Taoiseach and it was a foregone conclusion and actually you know I would say the closer you get to an election, maybe the more sort of picky the voter becomes as well and the more selective they become. And they've become mm. a bit more... I think voters in recent times have definitely become a lot more... Um, you know there was a time I suppose where like there was generations of parents and grandparents who were loyal to certain parties and that there was brand loyalty and you know this house votes Fianna Fall, that house votes Fianna Gael and you could nearly the local representative who was running while they were canvassing could nearly have on their notes clock which house voted which way whereas we have totally changed the society now and probably for the best in a sense that voters now realise that they have choice and they understand that uh, whatever they tick on the ballot paper can have consequences for Mm. how things play out for them in the future so I actually think there's a lot to play for this time out.
1: Yeah, as you say Gavin they've been outflanked on the left in terms of on Gaza by the Social Democrats. Mm. They've been outflanked on Washington by the SDLP but then immigration seems to be something which is a sticking point for them. A lot of their supporters would probably be of the view that they want Uh, more stricter controls on immigration that's what the polling data would appear to show us as well Um, also I think there is an issue there I mean I remember on in November 23rd um, on the day of the Dublin riots after the stabbing on Parnell Square there was a lot of people a lot of the far right agitators were calling Mm -hmm. out Mary Lou MacDonald by name they Mm -hmm. see her as part of the problem uh, in terms of being part of this conspiracy and blah, 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 ground replacement theory. But in terms of actually addressing the immigration issue, you have seen a step change from how the government is going to approach this. Now, the word crackdown and clampdown has been used in the press to describe this. The government publicly not using those words and kind of stepping back from it. I think mm. privately they're probably not all that displeased with those words being used. It's
3: probably it. difficult to really dispute with the ultimate meaning of of what they've done as being something of a crackdown or at least a hardening of positions. They're adding Algeria and Botswana to what's called their safe list and that effectively means those countries are presumed to be safe. If you're coming from there you are presumed by default not to be fleeing any kind of hardship or persecution and they're more likely to take a dismal view of your application. They might still entertain it of course they'll, they'll give you the full regards uh, but they won't include it there. Helen McIntyre said something very interesting at a press conference about this on Tuesday that when they added the last batch of countries to this safe list they saw applications from those countries plummet. That effectively that they were almost then saying without saying it out loud that many of the people applying from those countries the likes of Georgia were coming for economic reasons and not because they were trying to flee from some sort of hardship and claiming asylum as it's literally th- thought of. Mm. So the implication then has to be well we're going to see fewer applications from these countries and they might say well that's just us trying to keep the system more streamlined but it's hard not to think of that as being some way of lowering the number of people that they have to house and therefore the implications that they'll have on communities around the country that end up housing them. And what was this
2: point yesterday about chartering flights? Mm.
3: They are looking at, they're not committed to yet, but they put out a tender where they're basically asking airlines to see would you be interested in keeping a fleet aside so that it, on the occasion where we need to send people back that will do it. They're not committed to it yet and practically speaking it's hard to imagine exactly when you'd end up doing it. Do you have a full planes worth of people to send back to Nigeria is one country with a lot of applicants. So w- when they would actually happen, I don't know. But again, the fact that they're signaling they might think about it looks to all the world as if they're hardening their position.
1: Well, in terms of Gaza, the United Nations Relief Works Agency, agency I should say, for Palestinian refugees is an agency we've talked about in the podcast before mm-hmm. in terms of it's the biggest mm-hmm. agency providing aid and support to Palestinians in Gaza. And now it's facing a huge crisis which really mm-hmm. threatens its own existence. Sarah, what's the background on this?
2: Yeah, so in recent days, people have heard that there were allegations made against 12 UNRWA workers, um, allegations made by Israel, that those workers had been involved in the October 7th terrorist attacks uh, in the kibbutz in Israel. Um, so from the outset, I think it's important to say that, you know, UNRWA has around 13,000 employees uh, working in mm-hmm. Gaza. This involves 12 people, um, nine of which have been left go. Um, This information does come from Israeli intelligence. I suppose a lot of people might question the timing of the release of that information. It did come a day after the ICJ interim ruling. Um, But it is a very serious situation because a number of countries now have stopped providing funding to UNRWA, which means in reality, and you know, I heard someone speaking earlier in the week saying that like UNRWA is the type of organisation it kind of works hand to mouth, it doesn't have sort of a backflow of cash. Mm. So, you know, in the next, you know, four weeks, conceivably, you know, month to month, they will essentially start to run out of money. And the real people who will be affected by that are Palestinians in Gaza.
1: Well, that that, that is the thing. It is the pulling of funding and the immediate pulling of funding mm. by the likes of the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, uh, Australia, all of its major backers. I think more than half of the committed funding you'd get for UNRWA come Mm -hmm. from these countries which have already pulled their weight from behind it. Now, Ireland and Norway are amongst the countries who have said we're going to continue to Mm. fund UNRWA Mm -hmm. because, Gavin, many people who are alive now and are still surviving in Gaza despite months of, you know, the assault and onslaught that is happening in Gaza, they're alive purely because of UNRWA. Yeah, pretty much.
3: Um, Like, UNRWA was probably not a thing that was on many people's radars before October the 7th and what's happened since, but it might just be worth a a little crash course in in where it came from. Uh, UNRWA is basically... Um, performs all the functions of a government that Palestine is not capable of doing. So not the, like, picking a president or prime minister of all of that, but the people who run your schools, the people who run basic public services, certain amount of sanitation, Mm. certain amount of healthcare, all the things that ordinarily a government would do, UNRWA does. Mm. UNRWA was set up by the UN in the late 1940s because after Israel was created, again, by UN decision, They recognised that this was going to displace millions of Palestinians to nearby countries, predominantly uh, Syria, Jordan and Egypt, but a few others that were scattered around the Middle East as well. And UNRWA was set up to provide basically all the services that a government would do to those displaced people. So if you're a Palestinian person who's been living in Jordan for the last um, seven decades because you were effectively displaced from your, your natural home by the creation of Israel... UNRWA runs your hospitals. UNRWA teaches your kids. Mm-hmm. UNRWA provides local policing. UNRWA does all of those things. The Irish embassy, it's not an embassy because we don't officially recognise that as a state, but the Irish mission in Ramallah is the mission to the occupied Palestinian territories and UNRWA because we basically recognise it as effectively a government in exile. But the key thing about UNRWA is that it is not funded out of the UN's direct budget. It's entirely through voluntary contributions Mm -hmm. from other countries. Ireland has upped its contribution to about 18 million. Ordinarily, it will be eight. But because it's all voluntary, if the UN or or the US or as might happen now, the EU collectively decide to defund it, then all those Palestinians, both in Gaza and across the Middle East, that were dependent on UNRWA, have nothing. Mm. I mean, they literally have nothing.
2: It is another form of attack, I suppose, on, on people on, you know, in desperate situations, Richard, to pull those resources from them. It's a, like, it's somewhat of a, a bizarre decision on the part of the, like, so you say, the UK and the US. Look, you could acknowledge as well, and it's important to say that the allegations made against the individuals here, you yeah. know, include things like, you know, ranging from involvement in kidnapping, hostages, to being told to set up an operations room. They're very serious allegations, but like the answer isn't to pull resources from people who have nothing as it is.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it is it's it is staggering how quickly some of the countries arrived at the decision mm. that this was going to be their solution. We're just going to stop that pipeline of money to help people. And it is the most direct way, as we say, of helping people, civilians who are in harm's way in Gaza. Now, as you say, very, very serious allegations here, including basically involvement in the attacks themselves. Mm. But I, I noted, when I was looking at the statements released by each of the governments in terms of why they would decided to pull funding or pause funding and places like Australia, we you have quite a liberal government who are like, mm. well, look, we support UNRWA. We support the work that they do. But this is only a temporary thing. But at a time when you know, lives are being lost at a, at a shocking and sickening scale. Yeah. Like the, ter- the 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 rate of civilian casualties and deaths in Gaza is greater than anything we have seen since the Second World War in terms of civilian population. That mm-hmm. is more than half of the buildings, according to the BBC, in Gaza have been raised to the ground at this point in time. Mm-hmm. It's becoming uninhabitable, and the only places and the places which are using, as you say, uh, are running the, the most shelters, schools, and hospitals are effectively UNRWA. So the pulling of this is is, is very very quick from Western governments who have been very slow in other ways. Um, to address some of the key concerns of this conflict.
2: Here's an important point as well though that needs to sort of be just aired out is that like it's very difficult for the likes of the US and even, you know, even journalists trying to corroborate what's coming out in this Israeli intelligence. It's very difficult to go back and sort of fact check some of the information as well. And, you know, not that, you know, these are allegations. It's very difficult to independently verify those allegations. I think that's a really important point. Also, I think there does have to be questions asked about, as I mentioned earlier, the timing Mm. of the release of that information, Gavin. Like, Mm. you know, Especially when you consider that, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu essentially dismissed the ICJ, you know, outcome of the other day and said, well, that's grand, you know, we're not committing genocide, so, you know on we go sort of thing. And that was definitely the attitude. And then the next day, oh, by the way, these aid workers have done terrible things. You know, these are serious allegations, um, but it's very difficult to actually verify them independently.
3: And when you put that alongside the statements of other Israeli politicians, government and opposition in the more recent past, some of the hardliners who take the view that basically there is no way to peacefully coexist alongside Gaza and that the population must be gotten rid of. It's the only way to eliminate Hamas. And then Israel should claim that for itself they've said that as a precursor to that, you you can't do that for as long as UNRWA is uh, around because if you have a UN agency that's effectively there sanctioning these people's existence and providing them with services, then you're you're not going to move them. Mm -hmm. So they've literally said that the abolition or the disbandment of UNRWA is a precursor to having Gaza effectively cleansed. Mm -hmm. So when you put that alongside the curious timing and look you have to take the the accusations at face value and they're pretty significant you know 12 UN staff being involved in a major act of terrorism Mm -hmm. it's not acceptable and it has to be given its due diligence and investigated but when you put the two together cynicism naturally follows and it's Mm. understandable in a case like this
2: Well if they knew before now You know, if they knew before now, October 7th is a long time ago. Okay, I accept that it takes time to gather information. But if they knew before now, why not say it before now?
3: And the UN's major judicial organ Mm. says on Friday that we need you to take interim measures and then you come out on Saturday or Sunday and say, by the way, the UN has also
1: been funding local terrorism. Mm. It's, you know... Uh, you'd raise eyebrows. Yeah, I saw this morning actually um, Al Jazeera reported, it quoted another report by the Times of Israel saying that privately there's a fear amongst some Israeli officials about the humanitarian catastrophe that would ensue Mm. in the result of a complete defunding of UNRWA, which I actually should say, if you look on the State of Israel's Instagram page, they're pushing the hashtag defund UNRWA. um, And they are again pointing to 12 of their employees' involvement in the October 7th attack, blah, 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 blah. But the idea that the State of Israel is publicly saying defund UNRWA while privately some of their officials are saying, well, look, this is probably a big problem for us if Mm -hmm. we had a major humanitarian catastrophe worsened by the lack of available resources for UNRWA, that that would then reflect poorly once again on the state of Israel in the international sense. But again, I can just tell you, over the last few minutes, there's been a private meeting uh, where uh, Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, is pleading with the countries who have pulled their funding uh, to put it back online. Uh, The WHO's uh, chief, Dr Tedros, a man we were familiar with Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, says, look, this is going to make the worst situation imaginable, even worse somehow as a result of all this. Um, So I guess we're going to have to wait and see how that all plays out. It is interesting, as you say, Zara, that it comes after the ICJ Mm. as part of their interim measures said you need to get a lot more humanitarian aid into Gaza. and The best conduit for that has now been affected the day after um, Mm. as a result of this um, disclosure by Israel. Now, in terms of something else in the Middle East, which caught your eye, Gavin, a drone attack on US troops. Now, for the longest time we've been talking about the worst thing that could possibly happen is this war spilling over. Mm. And this is one of the most violent instances of which it appears to be linked to everything that we've seen. Why is this so significant?
3: It's the first instance in which uh, American troops or people serving in uniform for the United States as part of their armed forces have died since uh, the events of October 7th. Uh, Naturally enough, there are American armed forces dotted around different countries all across the Middle East, both in Israel and among some of the Arab countries. But this is the first time that any of those have died in in any of the skirmishes that have followed October 7th. And that then begs a question for Joe Biden, well, what are you going to do? because anything that results in the loss of American life naturally is going to prompt some kind of reaction. But if we're talking about avoiding a a full-on conflict, well, the awkward thing here is that much like Hezbollah in Lebanon, much like Hamas in Gaza, the people who are notionally responsible for this attack in Jordan are effectively militants that are ultimately bankrolled and backed by the government of Iran. Mm. So if you take them on, then are you basically also poking a bear and picking a fight with Hamas and Hezbollah and ultimately the Iranian government, mm. because if you have America basically pick and fight with the Iranian government, that's the reason why earlier this week, don't want to be motivated to put too much stock in it, but World War Three was the top trending topic on X. Mm. And the, this, it's the sort of thing, these big conflicts spill out because small conflicts and then people have allies and then the whole thing just kind of kicks off like a pub brawl. It's the sort of thing that happens. And what, what was really interesting is Joe Biden says he knows what he's going to do in response. But at the time of recording, it hasn't been done yet. None of the rest of us know exactly what he's got in his mind.
1: Mm. It does appear from some reporting in the U.S. that he's not going to launch a direct attack on on Iran anyway. Well, let's let's hope he doesn't, because that would that would probably There's quite be yes. People who want him to, yeah, there are American yeah. politicians that were mm. openly calling for it, mm. which is why, the, what, like, that is something which is you know, it's difficult to get your head around that you do have very openly and very often you have hawks calling for full on let's 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 pro- poke. You know, a major regional power, and let's Mm. see what happens as a result of this. I
2: guess
1: we'll have to wait and see. I mean, he says that he doesn't, like, he has, in fairness, tried to calm things down by saying, look, we don't want a wider regional war here. Mm. It could be, again, more strikes against militant groups as Pakistan and Iran exchanged missile fire. There's so many countries that have been you know, enveloped in this at this point in time. It is it is staggering. Sarah, you've kept your ear to the ground actually in terms of, the, we mentioned the ICG, ICJ mm-hmm. case. Now, pressure has been put on the Irish government in terms of how it's going to respond to it. Are we any clearer yeah. as to what Ireland is actually going to do about it?
2: I would say that at the moment what it looks like is it's going to be at least probably six months before we really know whether or not Ireland will get behind it. You know, it's definitely there's a lot of more paperwork that needs to be handed over to the court. It could take about six months for South Africa to put through its full case and its full position. I think it won't be until then whether Ireland will decide whether or not to back and get on, on board with the case. So, a little bit more clarity. I think it just the clarity being that we're not going to get an answer anytime soon. I think it's going to be about six months. Yeah,
3: was it last week's episode or the week before? They're kind of all running together now but we had a discussion around what exactly is the procedure and some of the the mm. uh, information campaign that the government was waging to try and underline to people that it's not about taking sides in these cases. <laughs> what, what has effectively kind of come out as the result of all of that is that if we need South Africa to file the full kind of formal case, I think it's called the memoriam, is what yeah, they call it in court million. parlance, that that could be six months away and only after you've seen South Africa's case, do you know what stance you're going to take? Do you support the same interpretation of law? Do you understand the words to mean the same thing that they do? And only after that do you actually file something, which means that, you know, all the dull motions last week, there's more again this Wednesday night. At the t- by the time people get to see or hear this, they'll have happened again. But they're all asking Ireland to intervene. Just the, the, pr- the process, the procedure just isn't there for, for months at least, and this is going to be running on for a while.
0: Here's a cool fact
1: Now, for almost a full day last week, AI-generated, deepfake, non-consensual, pornographic images of Taylor Swift rapidly spread online, particularly on the website formerly known as Twitter. One image in particular racking up 47 million views before it was taken down uh, by X. Now... It was largely taken down because Taylor Swift's fans mobilised. But this is a huge, huge ramifications, this idea of AI-generated pornographic images Mm. without the subject's consent or knowledge or approval. The White House even actually uh, acted on this, calling it alarming. Twitter or X eventually, of course, then removed it and then blocked searches of Taylor Swift's Mm -hmm. name, which is quite a a substantial step. Now, Mm -hmm. I, I see that they've lifted that. But this is a massive, massive... can of worms has has been opened at this point in time and it's deeply distressing I'm sure as well
2: Deeply distressing and I think you know let's be honest image based sexual violence is nothing new but when you have somebody like Taylor Swift who's such a big icon you know And it happens directly to Taylor Swift. It does bring it into sharp focus. As you say, Richard, it's the type of thing that, you know, like X is notorious for not taking things down and not taking, dealing with things, you know, in an efficient and sort of, you know, suitable way in many, in many cases. Yet we do see them now moving to take down these pictures of Taylor Swift. Um, And it's interesting that it's taken it happening to Taylor Swift for it to make a change. But here, as long as it makes a difference, I suppose, who will question that? Um... I just think that the reality of this, and I've seen a lot a lot of other women talk about this, women who aren't as famous as Taylor Swift, women mm. who might have maybe small followings on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, who've also found themselves in a situation, like the impact it had on their lives, women talking about uh, going for a job and having a folder presented to them with these pictures and sort of going, you know, we did a Google search on you before you came in for the job interview and actually here's all these pictures we found of you, can you explain please, you know where Did this come from and where and sort of like finding out in that setting that these pictures have been generated about you is wow. I find that horrific. I can't even believe that we live in a world where that's actually possible now. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm obviously you'd never kind of endorse it happening, but in, in a way, you, you
3: try and have to find some cause for optimism out of all of this, which is that at least it does
1: show that X when the circumstances are oh, right. It's does... insane to be saying well done X for this. It you know no, no, I, mean? no, I don't mean well, no, we'll 47 say, million no. views that, uh, <laughs> before they decided to act on it and now, but, but, but now people still are still pushing it. And the only that... act
2: to cause is Taylor Swift but my point so, is that, does right.
1: it now create a precedent where at least no, that they do it these things. No, absolutely won't create a pre- precedent. They're not going to do this for everybody because they haven't done it for anybody as Zara has already said. Yeah. There's people who have had this happen to them multiple times at this point in time and they won't be as lucky as Taylor Swift was even though she's the victim of this. They have tried for ages to try and get AI deep fake images of themselves uh, in pornographic settings uh, pushed online and they haven't been able to get them removed. And do you trust X or Twitter or Elon Musk to try and, you know, make a big change to his policy about these? No, Absolutely because the people not. who are pushing these things and the people who actually cause this to happen are people who are already paying for blue Well, they, well then why did they do it this time? Because Taylor of Taylor Swift, Swift and there was such a Taylor huge Swift,
3: thing. who is now oh, like notably already not using the platform herself anymore either.
2: Oh, it doesn't matter whether
1: she's
3: doesn't down or really not. Like,
1: that doesn't matter. Like she, she's so crazy. Like if they want any corporate backing, if they, they had to do something otherwise, I think mm. their their website probably would have been dead. But the, the like This is just such a dark thing and a dark growing side because already some people might be listening to this and thinking, do you know, is this really that serious? Like these aren't real images. These are basically cartoons. But no, these are photorealistic as it is. Mm. And that technology is only going to improve. This is, as you say, Zara, effectively image-based sexual uh, abuse. Mm. And it's only going to get worse unless you sort to you know, actually have a complete zero tolerance policy on this. Mm-hmm. I know from a policy and a political standpoint on this, like the u s. House of Representatives is introducing a bill based on this whereby if somebody uh, has found that their image has been used to create deep fake porn in this way, that they would be uh, the, the avenue would be open to them to sue the mm-hmm. person who either created it or intended to spread it. But, I find that's going to be something which is going to get t- t- tied up in but so much Given that a around.
3: lot of the images are kind of generative and you don't necessarily know what the source of it is. Like mm, if you can't exactly, even tell yeah. which, no, which app tell has created a fabricated thing then who exactly were you prosecuting in those cases? So I, I don't see that being a good robust... Uh, no, uh, but
2: I mean, even listening to the story of that girl who found out that she had been, you know, the victim of AI based um, sexual image violence in a job interview. Like, that is insane that she didn't even know about it until she was sitting in a job interview and they were like, Look, we just wanted to know, you know, could you explain maybe this was this work that you chose to do in the past? Like, no judgment, but we just want to kind of know was this yeah. kind of. Uh, like, I, and, but even the fact that that was presented uh, to her in a job it interview was, yeah, yeah. is insane. Like, I as long mean, like, it's how a bad is that...
3: online etiquette, but it's also just bad interpersonal etiquette. Who being does like, that? Explain these nudes, please. Well, also, like, as well, no.
2: it's to suggest that, you know, women who do have agency and want to do that kind of work, you know, aren't entitled to get an office job then three or four years later, you know, yeah. that you're handed this photo and sort of asked well what kind of work were you doing before it's actually nothing to do with your application for a receptionist or whatever it is you know what I mean mm. but anyway it's just the fact that she found out in that setting I thought was quite shocking
3: that was, uh, Just as a side note to all of that as something of a coda um, it was a very blunt but effective way to block the images was by blocking searches of her name yeah. I did see that a lot of Swifties were very put out that you couldn't search for any Taylor Swift content good, bad or indifferent as a result and it's funny how she now continually becomes a lightning rod for this kind of stuff because she's now also in the middle of the culture wars in the US for totally different reasons.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, just a, a quick note, just in terms of statistics on the deepfake mm. content, 96% according to a 2019 study uh, of online deepfake content has been pornographic in nature, which is a huge, huge number when you think about all the other AI generated mm. yeah. imagery which you have out there. ninety-six percent. Well, petrified about elections
3: being completely
1: manipulated by a faked video of a
3: leader saying something they didn't yeah. say, but actually most it's of it's It's mostly porn. been
1: used for, you know, faked up pornography. But as you say, the reason she was targeted in this way and a lot of the accounts who spread this are because Taylor Swift is now again a lightning rod in the culture war. She is of course now famously seeing Travis Kelce of the Kansas City Chiefs who have made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, they'll be playing the San Francisco 49ers. But there has been a conspiracy theory which has grown legs online amongst right-wingers and Trump supporters online uh, that the Super Bowl is rigged and that this is all a big conspiracy by the Biden administration and the Pentagon. God, the Pentagon. It's the Pentagon. It? Yeah. This is the Pentagon op. Because it's a defence issue. Yeah. But just to explain it. So basically, the thing is, Taylor Swift endorsed Joe Biden in 2020 and as the most famous and influential woman in many ways in the world. Yep her endorsement will matter. Mm. And the Biden team has not made any secret of it that they want her endorsement again. Not clear whether or not she'll get it. Probably will at this point, given how many, you know, mm. Trump people are just going for her neck at this point. But the conspiracy theory goes that this is all rigged. The NFL has rigged the Super Bowl so that the Kansas City Chiefs, which he's only ta- tangentially related to, will win the Super Bowl uh, just so that, uh, and then Taylor will have a big announcement after the Super Bowl as she mm. endorses Joe Biden. Um She's not, she's not playing Nuts. the halftime show, which
3: is worth
2: saying. I was just like, going to ask you that. Is she Usher a is playing time the, show? Half-time show. He's Usher uh, the halftime NFL show. Is Usher show? And the NFL
3: is traditionally, you, you might know about it in this, Richard, but I imagine it's traditionally, if it's got any political leanings, that as an institution, it kind of leans Republican because all the participants are millionaires and all the owners are billionaires. And they generally like how they've accrued their wealth and they don't want to be taxed out of it. I, so they generally don't support the Democrats anyway. By and large, one would imagine. Yeah. So, the, how, how the NFL is now somehow part of a giant conspiracy to endorse Joe Biden? Well, they, like,
2: can I ask? Sorry, because I feel like there'll be people listening to this who yeah. are in the same boat as me were the Kansas City Chiefs like were they are they good like were they're they, brilliant last like, year's okay well then fine then so they're not so they're good yeah. like okay but
1: they're, was, they're amazing check that. they're okay. a really good team they have the best quarterback but in the it's game it's
2: an obvious question I just want yeah. to know if they're yeah. actually good then okay fair enough that, but that's then that's Mahomes yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly Patrick yeah.
1: Mahomes he's amazing he's the new Tom Brady
2: so he's. it's not that like they were junior B's who have now had a like <laughs> oh, no,
1: this isn't the, the little, little rascals or the little
2: giants okay okay that's fine I'm just wondering but like some like some of the theories it is sorry
3: worth saying by the way that the a lot of the mag types still have a problem with Taylor Swift because they were convinced before her endorsement of Joe Biden that she was actually a white nationalist. Oh, yes. know, and they're still yeah. really upset that she basically turned out not to be or that they feel in some way betrayed and that she must have Ooh. gone full circle and now she's a secret Democratic operative. Okay. That's but
1: not also to mention that Travis Kelce, they hate him because he did an endorsement deal or he did he appeared in an ad for Pfizer back in the day as well. So obviously, he oh, right. a vaccine he conspiracy oh, yeah, thing either. as well. Yeah, yeah. So these are the most hated couple in America mm. as well as being the most photographed and shown. So there's been a huge pushback against the NFL and all of the networks in America because every time the Kansas City Chiefs play without failure and fair play to Taylor Swift for going oh, to yeah. every single yeah, one yeah. of these games uh, there's already been you know, people doing calculations as to how she's going to get from her Tokyo show yeah. to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and apparently it's possible There's loads of time yeah. the
3: Tokyo show will end at 3am on Saturday morning and the City of is on the west coast on a Sunday afternoon there's plenty of time to get a kip on a private plane I will not admit that
2: I'm not following that relationship super close but I do love being on the periphery and seeing all the like, lovely photos of them she does look very happy I think she, I, yeah, I I think I she remember, looks great I, I think remember, they look really happy together and I love that for her I
1: remember I said at the start of this when this was all only kicking off I thought this was legit I think it, it is is, I think it is. Legit. Very, I think really it is. very very It's really very legit yeah. vibes. Yeah. But yeah. one group of people who have actually endorsed the legitness of this, and this is actually interesting because it it folds into the culture war element, is a lot of these NFL and American sports talk radio and online personalities, so your Pat McAfee's, uh, your Colin Cowherds, your Dan Lebitard's, none of those names will matter to many people, but they have huge millions and millions and millions of followers and viewers online, and a lot of those followers and viewers online would be right wingers. Uh, Pat McAfee from ESPN had all this vaccine conspiracy stuff recently. Also from Monday Night Raw, which you can see Sunday mornings on Virgin Media too. There you go. But he and and, and, um, these other presenters are basically saying, what's the big deal? Why are all these MAGA right-wingers giving out about shots of Taylor Swift in the crowd celebrating things. Like when otherwise you're, you're you're showing shots of the crowd anyway in people's families. This is a good thing. It's shining more of a spotlight on football. Yeah. It's allowing uh, parents, whether they be dads and daughters, have something in common now because mm. Taylor Swift and football yeah. or mothers and sons, this is a good thing and this is very silly. This is very, very silly. But everything is silly in 2024 <laughs> and everything <laughs> is the goddamn culture war.
3: Everything is silly. That should basically just be our tagline for every episode going forward. Everything is silly. It's silly but <laughs> (laughs) Scary. Speaking of celiacs, you know know who are really beneficiaries of all of this? Nickelodeon. Oh. CBS are broadcasting the Super Bowl on Sunday week in the US. It rotates between the major NFL broadcasters. CBS are the major ones, but they also own Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon, when they show NFL games, have it superimposed so that there is slime in the end zone. So there would already be people who would not usually be NFL watchers who might watch the Super Bowl if. Patrick Mahomes is throwing a touchdown pass and Travis Kelsey is catching it in slime. But if you also get to see Taylor Swift in doing all of that as well, then Nickelodeon are, are quids yeah, in for all of this. They're delighted yeah. with all of this.
1: Yeah. I think it was on ESPN that did a Toy Story version of one of the games. Like it was augmented reality and they had like it was all Andy's room and it was Woody and Buzz <laughs> oh, okay. and all. It was mental. It was mental. But it's great stuff. So that's one use of technology in the NFL that is a positive thing and not earth shatteringly horrendous. Now, if you've found when you're driving around, if you drive around, uh, it's getting harder and harder to park your car. It's possibly because new cars in Ireland, according to the journal.ie, have grown by 2.4% in width in the space of five years. So they're basically gaining half a centimetre in width every single year. I don't think... Why is that? Just because people want bigger and bigger cars. They want a bit more space. The size of SUVs in general are oh, yeah. ridiculously big in comparison to what yeah. people use them for. Yeah. Uh, and the space they take up and the dangers they pose to pedestrians and cyclists and everybody around. I'm very worried that what I'm about to say is middle-class privilege, right? But... Do
3: you it. drive one of those quite large <laughs> well, SUVs we do, but, but I sort of feel like we actually don't have any other option because okay. where I, to, to uh, get a bigger car when I knew that we were about to have baby number two. Yeah. And genuinely didn't feel like the existing car, which was not a small car by any means. It was a standard like four-door family car. Genuinely didn't feel like you could put all the stuff that two kids would need in Mm -hmm. the boot we had a double buggy in the back and basically there wasn't space for it to lie down and when you had it upright there was no room in the boot really for anything else so I sort of felt like we had to trade up to the next size of car and actually that's when you start to realise that there's basically no space in car parks that I spend as you guys do too a lot of my time parking my car in a multi-storey in the city centre and they were all built before cars were as wide as they are now and you suddenly find yourself sidling in and then doing that thing where you're trying to make yourself two-dimensional on the way out that you can sidle out it's (laughs) like the the Ryanair Hunch kind of. Thing where you just like, can't get out of the car like it's it's a it's a thing but I, I genuinely don't know how with two kids you could actually fit all the stuff that you need yeah fair I they, they used before. to do
1: it though with smaller cars they they did. Did. but it's I think just... there
3: were lower safety standards and isofix bases and all that kind of stuff back in the day
2: do you think mm. the buggies are smaller as well I think the buggies are really fancy these days like buggies all my friends bigger. have really yeah. high end buggies like I can't get over the buggies mm. like their Rolls Royce level of buggies going around the place now like do you remember in our day when we were kids they were like basically a bit of like material and and yeah. will like belt and it to strap you in yeah. and it folded down into nothing. If there's any childless <laughs> but, people
3: watching or listening, just spend half an hour in Bella Baby and then just wince at how expensive it is to just buy stuff like
1: that for your kids. Uh, yeah. But but also, I mean Gav, you're talking about the necessity of having a bigger car if you have kids and families. A lot of people do have even bigger cars than the one you have. Like if you're talking about the Range Rovers and your X5 yeah. and X3 BMWs. Coming for the Range
2: Rovers. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, but like you do,
1: if you're driving around Dublin,
2: I don't drive a Range Rover by the way. In a, in a somewhere. Range Rover and yeah.
1: you're like you don't have kids or whatever. If you're not going out the Glen of a I don't know afternoon. why you why you inconvenience yourself by doing it. Like you're paying mm. you're pending spending and spending a lot for the inconvenience of not being able to park your car comfortably.
2: Uh, like that's a, I think that's kind of I think that's probably more status symbol stuff as well. though was not it? like it's a different motive like around that. Come for, no, <laughs> for them. No, not at all, not at all. I Richard mean, gone full aim and Ryan on <laughs> Yeah, well, I say I drive a Volkswagen Beetle. I love my little car. I've driven a Beetle for many years and I love it because it's really small and you can park it in lots of places. And I often just abandon it in lots of places, as you all know. There's a yellow box outside this building which usually has my Beetle parked (laughs) in it. (laughs)
3: do <laughs> people now go to Google Earth so, and look at the street view to see if there's the a car yellow park box for the,
2: it's the car park for the studio it's, yeah, it's not a public yeah. one it's not okay. a public yeah, one okay, I would like... never do that in public but I would absolutely leave it in the other box here and I'm often mm. in the uh, all that email being sent out are, can King please move for a car <laughs> but, um, but it's funny because like I've had to drive my fiance's car for the last few days because my car went in to get something done which still hasn't been sorted actually but um, <laughs> we won't get into it but I find his car way hard it's it's best the same size as yours like it's a bigger car like and I do find yeah. it really hard to park it and it even has one of those little cameras on it for parking and I, I find the cameras kind of disorientating and harder to park with I don't
1: have one of those but the beeping
2: yeah. is like what are you beeping for it's like oh because I'm getting incredibly close to that wall there okay yeah.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. I think it is something which like as the car and apparently we're a bit of an outlier in Europe in terms of overall size. We have bigger cars here than most countries do in Europe. Yeah, if you went to say France or Italy or Germany in in the major cities people want really small cars mm. because it is much easier just to park them in particularly for on street parking if you have a smart car or a Mini mm. or some other one of those you know I, I can't remember what they're called you know the little small Volkswagen ones and there's little tiny Renault ones yes, as well yeah. Up
2: or something yeah like all those VW sort of ones mm. but people yeah. want
1: those because well A. it's easier to park and B. actually they don't use their cars as much because they have better mm-hmm. public transport which is kind of the root of the issue so anyway that's it
2: how do you find parking let us know <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the most...
1: yeah. drop into our I'm socials I don't yeah. want to hear how anybody gets out of parking no, I have fine. no interest whatsoever but yeah. yeah anyway that was the episode <laughs> uh, I suppose give us your feedback on whatever,
3: whatever you liked or didn't like drop into our socials we're, we're all still here all the time tell us what news is funny and why everything is mad <laughs>